I do have an elephant collection. Welcome back to the interview podcast on the Wine Love Lake Podcast Network from Millbank, South Dakota. I'm Craig Weinberg, uh, sitting in the studio with someone that I've worked uh, for many moons to get to come in here and uh, <laughs> converse uh, with me. Uh, Marilyn Fields, welcome to the show. Thank you, Craig. <laughs> this has uh, been many years in the making. This, this. Now, we talk a lot. Just getting you in here with a microphone in front of your face is what's taking long. Oh, because I'm so shy. Totally. Right. <laughs> let's um let's start back at the beginning. You are b- born and raised in Millbank? No, I moved here when I was in second grade in nineteen forty six. The high school had burned down. We moved here in, actually after Thanksgiving. The high From sc- where? Redfield, South Dakota. Okay. <clears throat> the high school had burned down. And they were having school all over town in church basements, the old city odd that's still standing there, Mm -hmm. the Foresters Hall, which was then eventually the Millbank Clinic. And students would skip classes because there was no principal, there was no superintendent. And so it was kind of crazy hodgepodge all over town. And the kids, when they were skipping school, quite often were going downtown and causing all kind of havoc in the stores. So the city fathers called Peer and said, you've got to find us a principal. (laughs) They said, well, one of the best ones in the state of South Dakota is over in Ortonville doing something he shouldn't be doing. And at the time, my dad, well, I'll go back a little bit farther. My dad graduated from medical school at the University of South Dakota. That was a two-year program, four years pre-med, two-year med school. Then you went two years into your hospitals for your rotations. Well, his dad was gored to death by a bull right after graduation. And he he was the oldest of six children, so he went home to take care of the farm. And And then, of course, the war came along, and he was drafted. And the mortician in Redfield said, Art, you've had all of the... Um, anatomy and all of the requireds, you should go to the University of Minnesota. It would take you less than a year to get your mortuary degree. So he did that. He was working for Larson <laughs> Funeral Home in Ortonville wow. when the city, city fathers came to ask him if he'd come over and be a principal here. He said, well, first of all, if you could find a house for my family, I would, I would consider it, but just for the year. That was in 1946. Dad was only going to be here one year. He retired 27 years later. (laughs) So that's what brought me to Millbank. I left here when I was 17 after I graduated from high school. And I was. Was that a, I got to get out of here or you had things to do? Oh, I had to go to, I I was going into nursing. So I had to go to school. I was gone for 17 years and moved back here in 1973. And we brought with us, I was married then, we brought with us six children. And Jerry went into partnership with Dr. Norm Madsen. Now, Jerry, your husband is a is dentist. Is a dentist, mm-hmm. right. And we've been here ever since. 
So some say, I don't know if you've heard this, I'm sure you have, that if you want something done, you go talk to Mary Lynn. Well, <laughs> is this true? <laughs> this is true. I've been, uh, I have had several names. One is uh, the mother of Millbank. I don't know if that's because of my six kids or if it's because I, my kids keep telling me that I can't stop mothering because I have gotten myself involved in a lot of things. Try to help Millbank improve and grow. One of the things I, I was excited about was when we moved here, um, we had been part of a concert association in Brainerd, Minnesota. And all of the little towns around partnered with them mm -hmm. and had ticket salesmen. And I was the ticket salesman in Pine River, Minnesota. So I thought, why can't Millbank do that? Why couldn't we have ticket salespeople in Revillo and Ortonville and Graceville and, and start a concert association? So I got the music people that I knew in town together and we formed Chautauqua Concert Association, which is still continuing. So, so that you guys started that, that wasn't, Right. You didn't like bring it in as a franchise. This you we created started this group. It. We started it, and we were first with um, Columbia artists, and Columbia finally got out of the concert business and stayed with records. And then, oh, we, like Columbia, like like the record label, right? So they were into promotions and events, music, music mm. events all over the country. And then we, we went to, but I happened to know the lady that was the regional salesman. She was from Redfield, South Dakota, and a good family friend. So that had a lot to do with why we went with Columbia. Then we went to Allied, which we've been with Allied ever since. And I'm sorry I can't quote the dates for you, but I guess it's not Tom that important. Brother. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. Um, that, so, and that's been going for m many years. Right, right. And then, and, well, and, and the purpose of that is to to bring quality entertainment to and the arts, right? To small communities, is right. that right? Right. It, is this a uh, like in today's two thousand twenty one? Oh, it, I I can tell you, I can tell you when we first started. Okay. We had over three thousand memberships, and we had our concerts in the high school gymnasium. And, and it was always a, a big problem to set up because we'd have to set up light towers mm -hmm. and a stage and sound baffling, which the high school now has. We would have to put all the chairs on the, and people would sit on in the bleachers, which were not comfortable. And as the gentleman, including my husband, that used to help set up and take <laughs> down, <laughs> outgrew right. and got tired of it, we decided that maybe we should go in into the theater. Well, so that, did that you have 3,000 people show up to these events? Yep. That's the population of this town almost. But when you have Revillo and Graceville right. and Ortonville and, and Corona and Wilmont and, I mean, we had, mm -hmm. we had a lot of, of people driving. And, so, we, and we still do. So you had to cut down membership. Did you just call above and say, hey, sorry, you don't get yours this year? We don't have room? Or what did you do? I think we did it on a first come first serve basis. Really, and whoever whoever got oh, there. I bet and... you ruffled some feathers doing that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, the ones that got to sit in the theater were certainly happy. Uh, absolutely right. <laughs> but even still, 
you have more. Is it still going today? Yes. You, except you, this ha- last year, this year because oh, of COVID, we. Weird. But we're hoping to start uh, this fall. Because you still are over capacity if everyone, every ticket holder shows up. Absolutely. And that's just a risk you're willing to take. Right. Just to, to fund the product. <laughs> um, is, is this a unique, in, in currently, is this a unique um, organization in the country? Like in small smaller communities, do you know? Well, I, I think Allied has a lot in the Midwest. I, mm-hmm. I don't really know beyond that whether it exists or not because in the in the bigger populated states mm-hmm. they have bigger names coming in right well they have to just have a bigger draw right the potential crowd is bigger right like I, I know a couple of years ago I contacted a comedian who was up and coming at the time and I, I got in barely too late and at that point they weren't booking venues smaller than 2,000 seats right now probably six months prior to that would have been gold you know, a 600-seat little cool theater would have been awesome. But that just lost us the option because of the seating yeah. capacity. And and we share our concerts with Ortonville. So some are in Millbank mm. and some are in Ortonville. If, if there is a required piano, then we have to have the concert in Millbank. That's a story in itself. So in, was it 19 or 18 you started this petition? to upgrade the the grand that sits right. in the high school theater. Right. Um, from a, was it a six foot? Um, from a baby grand. S- baby size grand to a full, yeah, to a full concert, t- nine ten, foot. Nine footer. <clears throat> and it's like a brand new, it's a six figure Yamaha concert machine. Right. Which is beautiful. Sounds gorgeous. I, we got to incorporate it into our Christmas show we did in 2019. Beautiful machine. So, good work. Thank you. That wasn't something that you just <laughs> pulled out of your hat. No, I, I spent a lot of time and effort on that one. and But because I, I care about the high school, you know, I, I, it, it'll always be with me because of my dad. Okay. And I care about the kids in our community, and I actually care about the community as a whole. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Why does it matter so much? I just think it's, Millbank's a great place to live. I think it's a very forward-thinking, forward-moving community, and we just seem to care about each other a lot. If you look at every year that we hit our combined appeal, our cancer walk, all of the the caring things that happen in this community, I don't know that that's as prevalent in some of the other communities. Mm. And combined appeal is in the the Cliff Notes version. Rather than having every small organization in the community hit up every business and person in the community, uh, someone thought up some years back the idea to combine that and then make one single appeal, hence the name. Um, and then small organizations would apply for grants, essentially, to access that money. Am I right in that? Right. Were you instrumental at all in, in setting that process up? Well, I, 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 I can't say that I was instrumental. I think, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I was involved eventually, but not at the, it, it wasn't a brain, brainstorm of mine. <laughs> now, you used to be on the school board. Right. Back. 
I was... uh, you uh, ruffled some feathers on the school board. Oh, I did. I was the first woman in, I think, like 50 years. And I think that was a little difficult to <laughs> accept. <laughs> I also was on the State Associated School Board, and I served on that for five years. And there were 16 of us. Mm-hmm throughout the state we you know we came from each i was a representative of the northeast conference region and that was very interesting why just to be in on top of things that were happening in south dakota in education and and you learn from other school board members mm-hmm. <clears throat> what has what has the pandemic response done to public education? Well, I don't know that one because I don't have any kids in school. I have a son-in-law. You have that's a son-in-law who's a high I school principal. You have a high school principal. <laughs> it, it's definitely been hard on him. Yeah. I have a granddaughter who's teaching at the high, at the middle school. I, I, but because I'm not that actively mm-hmm. involved, I, I don't really know. I know that school is continued and there's a lot of homeschool going on i i i guess i i can't answer that question has the um you know the the forced integration of a uh hybrid model and really across the country it's it's kind of in in my mind it's kind of shed some light on maybe some of the the issues that have been in the the public school box the, the public education box. Um, and so when all of a sudden you have to rethink your methodology a little bit to accommodate, you know, some of these states, they don't allow the children to be in the school. They have to be at home. Right. Well, how, how do you accommodate that from the school admin level? You know, what do you do? And you're supposed to, it's your job. You have to now make something up. Um, do you see that forced uh, change going to be good going down the road or is it going to be is it going to be pushed back on and the real push is to get it back to the way it used to be because that's how we know how to do it well i think there's i think we're going to see a little bit of both mm-hmm. i don't know how you can do online chemistry i don't know how you can do online wood shop just mail them some fertilizer and diesel and then they can try in their backyard sure right is that how it works no <laughs> There there are a lot of classes that I think is always going to be hands-on. Is there, um, is there a need for some of that at the early level of education? I mean, it's one thing going into uh, university level where you've got like career paths that require really specialized understanding of some of that stuff. Is it as important to get to have that hands-on in the early years as it is maybe in the later years when you're actually learning pieces of where you're going to be as a career? I don't know. I guess my point is, does it matter that maybe we won't be able to have as much hands-on in the school going forward in the next, you know, short term at least? Will it matter in the long term? Oh, I th- I definitely think it'll matter if you don't have hands-on. Mm-hmm. But then I'm kind of a firm believer in hands-on. 
is the um over your years of being kind of in, deep in the weeds and some of the education we you know we can look back and at your time when you were actually in it um was it right was it going down the right path what do you mean by right uh oh, correct how about that uh the way things were being taught um you know cuz right now discipline in the classroom is difficult in in our current modern society um some of the teachers that i know and talk to don't have the same classroom control or ability to manage the classroom like say they did 30 years ago and so when when i've talked to some of the teachers that are retired and you know used to teach um they are like there's no way i could do it nowadays because there's so many um, hoops to jump through and there's so much teaching for a successful test completion as opposed to teaching for learning. Well, I think, I think society has kind of failed in that we haven't, I don't think we, I, I, I can see that we are not teaching today's children the respect for authority, <laughs> the respect for property. Mm-hmm. I think, I think maybe there were some parents that went through the, I don't want to be a parent, I want to be a friend. Mm. And so the the rules got relaxed. The I, I don't know. I just, I, I feel like we're, as a society, we need to respect each other mm-hmm. at every level. I think we need to care about each other at every level. So does it all can't this, be just about me and what I want to do. So does all of this maybe shed more light on the fact that parents have lost uh, the understanding that they really are the primary educator, and 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 it's it it's it's not their job to say, okay, I had a kid, now I'm throwing him at the school, and I don't have to do anything anymore. Well, I don't. I know. need to be involved. <laughs> I mean, at, at some level, isn't there a, shouldn't that be a, a joint effort? True. And I, I think that when I was raising my children, there were more of us that could be stay-at-home mothers. Mm-hmm. There wasn't as much n- drastic need for that second income. And so I think as mothers, we get, we had more time to teach. Mm-hmm. I, I really feel sorry for particularly single mothers. Absolutely. Um the mother that has to work a, a long, hard job and then come home and take care of the house. And when does she have teaching time? Mm-hmm. I was listening to, a, I think it was a piece of a political speech recently. They just had a conservative political action event in Florida this last week, I think. Um, and one, one of the speakers was talking about... Um, we we need to get kids back in school so parents can go back to work and that that thought that that mindset intrigues me a little bit because it feels like it implies that parents are not supposed to be involved in their education of the children they're supposed to go out and get that second job 
they're supposed to have a two two income scenario um because that's the way society runs and i i mean i don't care your political persuasion that's the reason and and it almost feels like that in this covid response that we've had where states have shut things down and you know there's now a clamor to get kids back in school and the reasoning always falls back to because we the kids need some someone to watch them so the parents can get back to work have we lost something in the the parent role in our society possibly with the idea that when you have children they now that's a responsibility it's not a it's not something you do and part of it is part of it feels like the um you know we have this idea that if we don't have the things you know we all say what's the american dream well the american dream is oh we want too many know, toys the the lake house you got to go on two or three vacations a year. Uh, I, I had a uh, conversation with a couple from out of town back about a year ago, and I, I was taken aback slightly because what, one of the things that was said was um, during our adult vacation, these people have little children, and they plan an adult vacation every so often to, to get away from the children. And I find that fascinating. And, and not that there's no value in having a moment, especially if you have a stay-at-home mom. That is hard work. You know this. <laughs> it's not an easy task. And so there's certainly time for that. But it was this understanding that we have this time where our children are thrown, and essentially we put them in the kennel, and then we go on our adult trip. <laughs> and then we'll, you know, we'll get them back in a minute, but it's fine. We can. They're not... <laughs> I feel like we've we've almost dehumanized children in our society. And maybe I'm just way off the wall here. But it, it almost feels like in this pandemic response we have we have seen or shed light on a couple things. And one of them that scares me is that as a society and the younger generations, mine and younger, feel like it is not our responsibility to be involved in our children or to, or to like them even. Because um, most people can't manhandle being around their kids all the time. They just don't know how to do it. And so have we really been able to see that a, lot, a good portion of society looks at education as daycare first and education second? Because if that's the case, that's backward, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. I'm ranting here, but but it's it's frustrating. And when I hear these politicians on both sides say, we got to hurry up and get these schools back open so our parents can get back to work. It's not so we can get our kids educated, so we can make sure they have every tool they need to, to you know, that we can give them. It's because mom and dad have to get back to work. It's not about because we need our kids to be as educated as possible. Now, if you really pinned them to the wall, they might agree that, yeah, that's part of it. But the first thing is almost always daycare. That seems backward to me. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Because I, I do think having an educated uh, people is extremely valuable. 
as long as we're talking about the schools, another thing that I was definitely involved in that I, I'm kind of taking you off the subject mm-hmm. is back when I was on the school board, we were in a tax freeze. And I can't remember how many years we were in the tax freeze, but it really, really hurt the schools. Now, by freeze, what do you mean? Like no increase or? In South Dakota, yeah. That was back when Bill Jankla was governor and, and we were in a tax freeze. And <clears throat> and so it, it, schools had to cut programs. Mm-hmm. I remember our, our oldest son took Chem 3. Well, they don't offer Chem 3 anymore. They don't. We don't have auto mechanics. We don't have. Home ec. Uh, well, there, there may be some of that, but it's not near to the same extent, is it? Right. I mean, there were there were programs that that we had to cut because of cost. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> my thought was okay. When I sold uh, half of a duplex that I had for my mother, rather than pay a capital gains tax, I donated it to the school to start an endowment fund. And the idea was that once the endowment fund got built up, mm-hmm. the school could take maybe just the interest earned off of it, so mm-hmm. it would become a perpetual fund, and they could use it for educational purposes only, putting new classes in. Like, was the stipulation that it wasn't to supplement current? It was actually for classes that could not be afforded by the the. the That's up to the, the school board. Okay. The school board will control how the money is spent. Mm -hmm. And the program is growing slowly. Is part of it a a marketing campaign that needs to be better to get people to understand the value of it? Well, we'd love to have more donations if if that's the question you're asking. (laughs) Well, of course it is. But, but I mean, how do you get people to know about it? Well, it's on, it's actually on the, um, if you go to the school site, mm-hmm. they have a little bar across and over there, there ha- is endowment. And if you click on that, it, it talks about it. And we have had, we've had some generous donations. So what we need to happen is every alum from this community that has made it. Would be wonderful. Need, needs to help support that. It would be wonderful. Because your goal, and I'll, you can tell me if I'm wrong in this. My goal is to have the best high school in the state of South Dakota. Yeah, but but the goal of that specific money is to be able to give kids more opportunity. Right. And not... See, because one of the things that, again, that I see as I look across the country at different schools, and I've got family in, in the, the West Coast, um, in the districts there, and it, it's no different um, as far as when stuff gets cut. And it seems like the first things that get cut... <laughs> the things that I feel matter, the arts. True. Why? Why is that not valued? I think it is valued in Millbank. Oh, it was, certainly is. But but it's still, those are the ones that tend to, like the middle school, I know that there has been some uh, off and on options for art. Um, why is that? Well, why aren't those valued well, spe- as much? You're specifically as, as, as referring much. to art Classes, well, art, art things. There, there's no theater. I thought um, you meant music. Well, well, there's art is more. It, it's music is included, right? But so is theater, like theater craft. That's not a class anymore here. No. How awesome! I mean, that should be. Um, you know, uh, production, event production. This school has a phenomenal facility. 
there should be something in there that 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 allows kids the opportunity to learn how to operate an event. How do you run a How do you run a, a show? I mean, you were involved in community theater. Yeah, community theater, but also in these Chautauqua thing. You know, what does it take to make that work? How awesome would it be to have a pile of youth that are in the school that are in a, an elective class? That is, how do you do it? How do you promote? How do you how do you set up the um, the facility for a traveling act? How do you you know what? Why can't that be part of that education? And is that some of the stuff that could be included in this endowment money potentially? Well, if the if the school board was encouraged to do that, I think yes. Again, I I mean the control comes back to the school well, board. Well, I, I know, but in your you set this thing up, so in your head. What was in there as the things that these are some of the th- reasons we need this extra money? Well, I wanted to put back, I mean, we our auto mechanics class mm. always placed at nationals. Really? And sometimes first. We don't have an auto mechanics class. I can't ever imagine auto mechanics not being needed in our country. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Um. I just had a conversation with my dad the other day, and we used to drive, uh, I grew up in Oregon, we used to drive down to Disneyland every summer for several years as a vacation. Well, we'd take whatever car we had, and, you know, it would break down on the way, and this was back in the 80s, I think, late 80s, early 90s, and he's telling me, he said, one time we were going down, and the water pump went out in the car. Well, you pull into a little town, you find a parts store, you get one, and he replaced the water pump, and we kept on going down to L.A. That doesn't happen today. No. I mean, well, part of the reason is the new cars you can't do that on. They're so computerized. So there is some complexity there that's being But that a still could be taught at the high school. Totally, yeah. And and we have a great um, uh, Janish. What is his stuff? I mean, he, he tries to get some of the best tools for the kids to learn in this in this town and it's so cool to see because they've got some technology in this school that i don't know if any other schools in the country have access to it because he's been able to go out and get it right it's very cool and you know it, that that's what i feel like is missing and in, in a bigger at a bigger scale in our education system is the flexibility for some of these teachers to go i want to go try this thing and bring this into our kids to give them an opportunity to see something that's um, they won't see anywhere else. Theater. Community theater. Community theater. Well, when our director retired, it was kind of the end of community theater, and there have been some people that have talked about they'd love to bring it back, but part of it is finding somebody that's willing to be the director. Mm-hmm. Was there? Was it all volunteer? Mm-hmm. There was no, no monetary compensation well i mean we had to charge admission so we could pay so we could pay for the the rights Mm -hmm. you can't you can't you have to pay for the rights to put on a performance yeah and there are costs you know your advertising and all that kind of stuff but no there was nobody was paid we were all volunteer how was it how was it um received in the community oh i think it was received very well but we did we did some we did Fiddler. We did. I mean, we did some big. Really? Yeah, yeah. Where? In in the high school theater. Oh man. 
Um, we did some small plays. We did some big plays. We did uh, Music Man. <laughs> it's a fantastic play. <laughs> <laughs> you you should have Ray Ogdahl come up and talk oh, to you. Oh, he's on my list. About community theater because he was our director and he was phenomenal. I think we need to bring some of that back. Oh, it would be so much fun. One of the things I want to do is radio theater. Like the old time, way back. But do it new. It'd be a blast. But we need people. People. Um, do all, How many of your kids chose to be in this community after they grew up? We have three living here. And three not. They all came through. They all were raised here. Right. Um, back to the, the, the grounds and your time on the school board. Um, there was some controversy over the placement of the football stadium. True. (laughs) True. Can you go into that at all? Um, I was just going off the school board when it, when the final decision was made, um, the old, the the men in town that had been involved it, i mean the old the old stadium had been constructed by local people hmm. and so it was their their heart and soul wanted to stay it stay on it's well actually it's in the same areas where the just west of the new elementary school so the, the parking lot right yeah and and when i was on the school board we were repairing the track every year. One year it would be $13,000. The next year it would be $18,000. And I just said, you know, we're, we're pouring money down a rat hole. And, and what we should do is get a, a track engineer to come in. And we did. One that does, um, he does Olympic tracks. And they did boreholes. And it had been, it had been a, a slew. And it had, and they filled it in with some of the material that was torn down from the old school that burned down. So they just piled a bunch of crap in the ground. Yeah. So he said the only way that you're going to ever fix this problem is you're going to have to dig down 15 to 20 feet and excavate the debris, and then fill it with gravel and then sand and then your dirt level. Well, the cost of that was just outrageous mm-hmm. for the size of the field and track and so that's what kind of pushed the thought that we needed to find a new site mm. but fortunately i was <laughs> out the door before the fire hit the fan <laughs> that's a nice way to put it <laughs> right but once once it got built i think i i think that the the people that were upset about it. I think they could see what a, a nice facility it was. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a bad decision. And your dad's name is on it. Currently. Yes. Yes. Was that uh, when did that happen? It happened before my dad died. That's cool. So he got to see it. That's pretty neat. Actually, he got to watch it being built out his where he lived out the window. Really. <laughs> Um, what's, do you remember, uh, when the circus used to come to town? Yes. 
My best memory of when the circus came to town, though, was in Redfield when it was the last. And I was I should have looked it up before I came today. Oh. It was the first. It was the last year that Barnum and Bailey took their their circus by train. Mm-hmm. And they came into Redfield, and they were supposed to make a switch over to the Great Northern so they could get on the right side of town to set up their tents. Yeah, Switching material was broken. My grandpa was a depot agent. And so they had to push everything across town by elephants, push or pull. Wow. So, sometimes they they put a harness on the elephants, and the harness pulled something, and sometimes they pushed it with their head. Well, one of the trainers, I was there with my grandpa, who was a— depot agent and one of the trainers said would you like to ride on an elephant i got to ride (laughs) on an elephant all day long just hanging out with him well i was riding on on his head yeah but i mean so the circus was just hanging out and you just got to be with him well wait do you have a secret secret life you didn't tell us about Are you really a circus performer? No, but it it was really that was and I've had a love affair with elephants ever since. And and I I had to get off of this elephant when they pulled the main pole up oh, because the, of danger. The train or the the tent? Yeah. Right. Because of danger. But then I got right back up. But at the end of the day, I we'd gone back and forth, back and forth and I was on top of the elephant all day. At the end of the day, that elephant took its trunk and did with its trunk the softest stroking on my cheek, and that was its goodbye. And I've never forgotten wow. that. How old were you? Do you know? Uh, probably five. That's crazy. I do have an elephant collection that my grandmother started. <laughs> from from that. Well, or you just acquired it. I acquired it. My grandmother had it, and she, uh, she was a staunch Republican, and my grandpa was a staunch Democrat, and they used to host. Redfield used to be the capital, uh, claimed to be the pheasant capital of South Dakota. Yeah, and people would fly in from all over to go hunting. And Grandma had a five-bedroom house. Well, actually six, if you didn't count the one they slept in, but five extra bedrooms and two sleeping porches. And so she would rent it out to hunters. And for whatever reason, the hunters were usually Democrats, and they would give her a bad time, (laughs) and they would get her all steamed up. But Grandma would feed them, and and if they got muddy— Poison, apparently. (laughs) If they got muddy—no, if they got muddy or, you know, she'd wash their clothes, Mm -hmm. and she was very very good to them. Well, then they'd come back the next year with an elephant in their arm, begging for— Like a peace offering? (laughs) Begging forgiveness. (laughs) And I remember a troop train came through one time, and there was one young man that was deathly sick. They had to, they literally carried him from the train. Grandma and Grandpa lived about a half a block away. They literally carried him to my grandma's house, and Grandma nursed him back to health. It, it, it took about two weeks. I don't know what was the matter with him, but he was deathly ill. Wow. And then he was put back on a troop train, and... And years later, he came. He had been in the in the African campaign, and then came back through, I think Italy. And he bought her uh, an elephant teapot, and hand delivered it to her, and wanted her to know that the man that he survived the war, but he wouldn't have mm. had she not helped him back to health. That's crazy. 
how did it even come about that that would, oh, you know what, we're going to take this ill person over here. I mean, how would that conversation even happen? What do you mean? Well, how would she get chosen? Well, like to because, just drop it off at the house. Well, he, he, Grandpa was a depot agent, and they just said, we, okay. we've got a man deathly ill. We've got to get him to someplace. And I don't know if Redfield had a hospital at the mm. time. I, I don't know that. But the train needed to keep going. And wow. so I suppose they just literally take him to my mm-hmm. house and we'll get a doctor over is probably what happened. I, I don't, you know, I don't know the fine details, but I do, I do remember the story. <laughs> That's crazy. And I used to get to ride on the train from Redfield to Aberdeen by myself with the engineers, and they let me think I was driving a train. (laughs) And then I'd stay overnight with an uncle and come back the next day. Were these all passenger trains at the time? Mm Mm-hmm. Did you say, here you go, kid, you're good. Hop on. Well, because my grandpa was a depot agent. It gave me a lot of privilege. Oh, man. Bet you can't do that nowadays. Oh no, <laughs> that would be child, child endangerment. endangerment. Right? <laughs> you can't just let them go. They're three. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, what's the biggest controversy in Millbank you remember? Scandal. Oh, I, I mean, when I think I think when when there's something that's a drastic change like moving the football field. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the story now of of the baseball field, but um it caused family members not to even talk to each other back then. Wow. Um like the civil war. Right. But I think I think you know, I, well I think there was some there was obviously when we had to move the baseball field I think some people didn't understand Millbank was the birthplace of American Legion baseball. Mm -hmm. And the field that we knew out there by Unity Square was not the original one. The original one was down below. If you go down Main Street and down across the little bridge, they used to call that the fairgrounds. That's where there was a racetrack down there at one point. Right. That's where the original baseball field Mm -hmm. was. And so... I mean, it isn't like we were moving it again, and now it's out in South Park with, we hope, uh, that we can raise the funds <laughs> to have a new baseball field out by Lake Farley. Which would be kind of cool. And, you know, so, some people have said, well, this is just where they talked about the idea. And that's what it was. It was a Legion meeting way back, and the concept of what has turned into American Legion baseball in the country was born in that out of that conversation and i think that's that's cool right and i i think we definitely should as a community do everything we can Mm -hmm. to help it move forward because i think it would become a tourist attraction and if if they can raise the funds and build the field like they've got it designed it's like a six or seven million dollar project right right we'll have we'll have uh big tournaments here it would be financially a, a real plus for Millbank. Do you think that there's enough infrastructure to house that? Or would that require more hotels in this community to do something that big? Oh, probably. But that's growth, and that's what we want. 
Yeah. Um, do you uh, any scandals? Because one one of my <laughs> favorite things to do is to dig into the old archives of the paper. And I, I was in the I think the nineteen fifth one of the nineteen fifties year of the Herald Advance, and found some old controversy. And then there was one. Apparently, there was a murder in town way back in the forties. And I mentioned it to. Um, I know there was a sheriff a shot in town. Yes. Well, I don't know if it was a sheriff. Might yes, have been. he was a sheriff. No, no, the one I'm thinking of. Okay. Um. And then I mentioned it to another lady that I met, and her mother-in-law um, was around and not in it, but, you know, knew all about it. And to this day, still says, we, we don't talk about that. That's not, you know, shh. <laughs> Which, of course, makes me want to go, what in the world happened? Oh, I don't know that story. <laughs> I, I believe it was someone's wife ended up dead. And... By the time the authorities got there, there was uh, it was all cleaned up, and she was up in her room. You know, no mess, and some business leaders in the community had to um, go on vacation for a while, hmm. and then someone went to jail. And I, the, this, this is the story. This is why I haven't. This is the story. And someone went to jail, and when they got out, they got a brand new car. Hmm. So you'll have to do more digging because that story I, I don't I don't know. I, I've talked to a couple people who claim that they have um, relations that were uh, one was a deputy and there were some other people involved. Um, but getting them to talk about it has been a challenge, and that just fascinates me. Well, I I'm not I'm not too familiar with that. I tend to focus pretty much on the positive side of life. <laughs> How has Millbank changed for the better over the last fifty years? Oh, I think. I mean, you look at our Unity Square. I would bet there's not a community our size in the state of South Dakota that has a facility as nice as that. Hmm. The same way with our theater. When when we first got it built, <clears throat> we contacted the um, Guthrie Theater in Minneapolis, and they said, "Well, you wouldn't have anything that." You're not big enough. You wouldn't have anything that could accommodate anything we have. We'll send a trunk show out, and you can have your local people wear the costumes of mm-hmm. from different. And and we did do that, but the person that came with the trunks mm-hmm. went, "Oh my word! Of course we could send." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they they couldn't believe a high school mm-hmm. has that. Yeah, fine a theater. Um, I, I just, I think Millbank has just always been a little bit on the edge of moving ahead and, and, and trying to be focused on positive things that are good for the community. One thing, one thing that I am kind of missing, I was awarded, um, Volunteer of the Year Award in 1981. And that was from the South Dakota Mental Health Association. And they used to come over from Watertown. They had, um, um, I don't know if it was a psychology clinic, but they had a strong organization in Watertown. And they used to come over once a month, and there would be like a noon meeting out Mm -hmm. at, at the Lantern. 
and they would present a, a topic tying in with mental health. And then after they presented their program, they would open it up to questions. And I, I just felt that was really, really important. And I, since it seems like we're hearing a lot about mental health these days and how COVID has affected and, and a lot of people are stressing, it would be nice to get something like that back. Just before COVID started, I spoke at my church and wanted um, to start anybody, anybody living alone, no matter how old you are, to have a, a phone partner or a text partner that would make contact with you once a day. This is all before COVID started? It was it was the Sunday before. What are you, some sort of psychic? <laughs> well, a friend of mine was dead for a week before anybody found her. Wow. And I used to drive by her house every day. And I, I mean, when I realized it, it was like, oh, why did I mm. not realize that I didn't see her car coming or going? Or why didn't I? I mean, I, I, I kind of took on a little guilt that probably wasn't really mine to own. But... There was a gentleman who belonged to Kiwanis, and he never missed Kiwanis. And one Wednesday, he wasn't there. And so one of the guys said, I think I'll go over and check on him. Well, he'd fallen in his tub, and he couldn't get out. And he was in his tub for three days. Oh, man. He survived, but he was dehydrated, and, mm -hmm. you know, he had to go be hospitalized, and he recovered. But I just thought, we should start a program in Millbank, and if it goes nationwide, that would be wonderful where anybody living alone should have someone agreed upon time, you know, whether it's 8 o'clock in the morning or 8 o'clock at night. I don't care when mm -hmm. you set it up. Uh, that Just contact. Contact. Hi, mm -hmm. are you okay today? It doesn't have to be a long conversation. Because people can fall. Mm -hmm. People can stroke at any age. Yeah. And I've talked to the chief of police. I've talked to the uh, fire chief. And they believe that it would be so much easier and because they, they're the ones that usually have to go find right. someone who's been right. dead a long time, and mm -hmm. it's very difficult. The other thing is the, both, both the fire chief and the chief of police said, if you do that, try to arrange with the, your call partner so that they know how either to get a key or if there's a key hidden someplace, find out where the mm. key is hidden because they've had to kick in doors and then the person wasn't <laughs> wasn't in trouble. Wasn't in yeah. trouble and not happy about the fact that the door right. got kicked Understandably. in. Understandably. Right? Yeah. And so from a safety standpoint, I just mm -hmm. think it would be such a good a good thing. Plus psychologically, it would be mm -hmm. to just know that somebody cares enough about me to call me once a day. Well, and that's certainly Or text me yeah, once a day. That that's certainly a consequence of this pandemic response that we've had. That is, no one really thought through, I don't believe, the, the mental problems that will arise from forced isolation. Right. And that's, you know, it's, I, I think that's a fantastic opportunity and a great idea. You know, you do have to consider and remember that, you know, it is someone's private property, but how cool to be able to offer that as, a, as something. You know what, we, we care enough as a community. And it's not the government coming in and, you know, forcing something down your throat. It's us as people right. want to just show some sort of, I think that's great. The children do it. There's this thing on Snapchat, which I don't have, but I, I hear about. It's called a streak, I guess. 
where they it's a contact with so many people and they maintain these things. So you have to do it once a day, at least once a day. And so, of course, you're better if you have more of them. Sure. Which means you have more friends and you're talking to more. But it, it's that idea, though, where it's a, it's a touch right. every day with so many people. And I think you could implement that very, very easily. Well, I haven't given up on the idea. I think it's a great idea. I had planned to go to all of the churches in town, and I actually have a little form that our church made out that you could fill in if you wanted to be Mm -hmm. either a text partner or call partner and kind of the specifics of... It's a small fee of $19.95 a month. We'll get you there. No, no. (laughs) (laughs) No, strictly volunteer. Right. (laughs) Well, that's a great idea, and I I think that uh, should take off. And I will certainly bring it up to people that I hear about. I'll and bring it, you the I'll bring you the form. That would be wonderful. It it is. I mean, that's absolutely a necessity. And one of the things that you know we've been seeing throughout this last year is the the fact that people are missing out on human contact. And that, that that's your new that should be your new platform, your new <laughs> soapbox. Jump on it. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Uh, what was it like being married to a dentist? Or is it like, I should say. He's not practicing anymore, so that's the one. Well, <clears throat> I didn't have to ever, I've never paid for a dental bill until my husband retired. <laughs> was that a wake-up call? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Get back to work, Jerry. <laughs> the, uh, the It was wonderful being married to a dentist, and it kept all of us in the family with our teeth clean. <laughs> But um, our kids certainly felt deprived because we could hardly ever have a summer vacation. Mm. That was his busiest time because parents wanted their kids in. And before school, yeah. And, and college kids taken care of before yep. they went off to school. And so <laughs> they, were, they were, we're the only kids in Millbank that never have a vacation. <laughs> so Jerry said, okay, have the motorhome ready. We, we owned a motorhome with six other couples. And he said, have the motor home ready Thursday night. And we left on Thursday night after he got home from work, drove out to the Black Hills. We had Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Then we drove home on Monday. And that was... That was your vacation. That was it. That was it. That's probably the only vacation my kids can remember. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) Of course, when when they went to, you know... Every one of them got to be involved in a state playoff. Mm. And so that was also kind of, I mean, when we would go to the state competitions, mm-hmm. that got to be kind of a little family vacation because right, yeah. we all went. Yeah. Hmm. We, had, we had six children in seven years. So we had like four in high school, and it was boy, girl, boy, girl, boy, girl. So we were following all the activities. Wow. Uh, step back for a second. What did you say? Six children in seven years? Yes. No twins. <laughs> wow. My husband. Good work. Went, my husband was an only child, and he wanted a big family. So you, you, the other day, you mentioned to me that uh, because of the the timing of your children, um, you had difficulty in getting some of them baptized at the, at the proper time, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Tell that story. <laughs> oh, when we, well, we were, we were going to bring our first child home. We were, Jerry was in the Navy at Camp Pendleton 
And that's a Marine Corps base, by the way, but they don't have their own medical and dental, and so the Navy provides it mm. for the Marine. So anyway, we're at Camp Pendleton, and we were going to bring our first child home when he was about six months old and have him baptized with both sets of grandparents. Two weeks before we were ready to leave to come back, they canceled all leaves on the base because they were sending the first wave to Vietnam. Oh, man. So all all leaves were canceled. So Jerry just said, well, just go home. And I said, I'm not going to have him baptized without his father. (laughs) That's not right. And so then uh, we were out in California when our second one was born. And we knew we were getting out of the Navy fairly soon. Mm -hmm. So we thought, oh, we'll wait till we get back. And then by then I was pregnant with the third one. So, okay, we'll wait till the third one comes (laughs) along. (laughs) And it was really until it was until the sixth one came was when we had the kids baptized. Just all together, just get it done. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Why not? Just throw a bucket on them all at the same time. You're right. Good. <laughs> do they uh, do, do they laugh about that now? Oh, I don't know. I I don't know if I've shared that story with them well. as an adult. <laughs> Sorry, kids. <laughs> I just happened to find a picture of the baptism. That's awesome. And so I'm going to get it copied and make sure it gets in their book. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, <clears throat> Marilyn Fields. Yes, sir. Um, we must do this again. All right. There's many more uh, directions that we could go. Uh, I have to leave here just in a little bit, so I didn't want to. I don't well, want to get back into anymore. We kind of bounced all over the oh, wall. Yeah. Well, we did, and that, that's that's the fun part about this is it's where we go, it's where we end up. It does it doesn't matter. Um, so what we'll do, um, we will talk some more and see if we can get part two on here. All right. Um, at some point. Fundraising. And, uh, well, <laughs> there you go. <clears throat> Marilyn Fields, thanks a lot. Give a give our best to your your husband, your other half. He's what Jerry. makes me go. <laughs> he's fun. We like him. We like him here at this at the, at the studio. He he's on my list too. If he ever right. do it, he's just he's a little quieter. He's, he's a I. little quieter. Not that that's bad. <laughs> this is the interview podcast on the Y Millbank Podcast Network. Um, thanks so much for listening. Uh, this is just another piece of Millbank history that we're trying to document, and there's so much more. And we will absolutely dig into it farther as we go. Thanks a lot for listening. Whymillblank.com is the website. Uh, There's a contact button on there if you want to uh, send your story along. You can certainly do that. Um, There's also a donate button on there. If you want to help support this show at whatever value it is that you see fit, uh, you can send there and pick the dollar amount you want. Uh, Everything helps to continue to make this product happen. So thanks a lot so much, Marilyn. Have a wonderful day. Stay healthy and stay safe. Thank you. (laughs) Absolutely. See you next time. Everyone else, stay safe. And hey, check on all your loved ones. Have a great day.